Hello, my name is Justin LeClue, and I'm here today with Will Sloan, and you're listening to the Important Cinema Club, and today we're talking about a universe. Some would say a dark universe. Yes, back in 2012, I think that's the year it was, when Marvel's The Avengers was released, a film that it changed the way the business was done in Hollywood. No longer were there merely a movie, and then if it was successful, a sequel. Now, every studio was thinking about cinematic universes. Studios were looking at what are the properties they own and and thinking, well, can we make... What was the studio that was thinking of doing a Robin Hood and his Merry Men universe? Well, every single one of them had a Robin Hood project up their sleeve. Here's the thing about cinematic universes. Me and Will talked about... Oh, we should do an episode on that and just talk about all the failed ones. The issue with this is they're all failed ones because like none have been able to get off the ground and become something that like in a pop culture sense, everyone knows in North America, at least I'll say in India, there's like an odd police universe where all the different we saw one of the movies. Yeah, I forgot what it was called. Yeah. Police heroes team up at the end of it. I mean, what Marvel did just from an architectural standpoint was brilliant in that, you know, they had Iron Man and they had the Hulk and Captain America. America and Thor and one by one you fall in love with each of these characters and then they all come together and it's like oh boy all these characters I love are together and then you're hooked for life so that was brilliant just how how they did that and the one company who had done it before and should have easily been able to do it again is Universal Pictures and this is what we're focusing on in this episode Universal Pictures the House of Frankenstein the mm-hmm. House of Dracula the hilarious House of Frankenstein <laughs> Ammon and Costello meet something or other Dracula the monsters listen folks it is the studio that is synonymous with monsters it is a studio that back in the 1940s had its own little viewisk universe of Frankenstein meeting the wolfman they did it like the lowest energy don't care you could back then yeah well because people ate it up it was for children and undiscriminating audiences back then and a lot of them were wonderful Mm -hmm. but a lot of them were bad as well well justin is referring to the i think specifically the 1940s ones Mm -hmm. you know not not the original no 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 i'm talking about the like late period we need a couple of quick bucks let's get the c-list directors in here making house of dracula house of frankenstein your earl c kenton's your lambert Hilliers, people like that. But folks, I bet you haven't heard any other film podcasts that have mentioned Lambert Hillier. That's that's what makes us the gods. I know exactly who that is, too. So obviously in 2012, this sparked multiple attempts by Universal to create their own universe with their mostly by now public domain monsters. But, you know, it's a studio associated they with They own monsters. the rights to the way they look specifically, which right. was an issue with something like the Monster Squad, where Frankenstein's monster doesn't look like the Universal one. That was also an issue with the Hammer Horror films. When they did their Frankenstein pictures, they had to have a different design than the Universal one. However, even before the Avengers... For years and years, Universal has been trying to figure out a way to create a sustainable, multi-level franchise with its its monsters. It's not hard. What are they doing? Okay, Justin is eventually going to explain to the Hollywood big shots what they should be doing. But let's look at the facts of the case. Throughout the 90s, various directors, various Joe Dante and John Landis and Steven Spielberg type directors were attached to projects like a Creature from the Black Lagoon remake or a Mummy remake make, which in 1999 happened and was a huge success. I think originally it was supposed to be a George Romero mummy-directed film. I don't know if that one was at Universal, though. I believe Joe Dante was 
attached to it as well. Mm -hmm. So Steven Sommers, The Mummy in 1999 spawned its own franchise and spawned a spinoff franchise. Do you know that The Mummy Returns came out like a year after The Mummy was a hit? That's how quick the turnaround was on the sequel. Now, we're going to be getting to the recent Dark Universe soon, but I think... There's only one movie in it, so there's well, not that much I think, to talk about. I think about technically it. there are two, are there not? Nope, is Dracula one. Untold? Nope. That is actually separate from the Dark Universe, because okay. that came many, many years before. Well, we'll get to both of those shortly, but let's begin with, in 2004, flush with success from The Mummy, Universal recruited the same director, Stephen Sommers, to create a new franchise that would harness Universal's proud monster legacy for a new generation and create a brand new franchise. I refer, of course, to the Hugh Jackman vehicle, Van Helsing. Now, if you weren't on the internet during the time of this movie's production, it was a big deal because the Universal Monsters were suddenly getting more attention. For the first time, they had proper special edition DVD box sets put out, which if you open it up, maybe there's a ticket for Van Helsing inside. Okay, I'm old enough to remember in 1999, when I was 10 years old, there was a Burger King promotion with like, you get little toys at Burger King of all the classic monsters, you know, Lugosi, Dracula, Karloff, Frankenstein, yeah. all that. Let's Yeah, so there's Dracula, there's Frankenstein, Creature from Black Lagoon, never gets any respect. The Wolfman. The Invisible Man. Phantom of the Opera, technically. He sometimes gets lumped into Claude Rains, Phantom of the also, Opera. Also, according to Van Helsing, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I love those 40s monster rally movies like House of Frankenstein, where you see the trailer and it'll say, not one, not two, but five monsters. Frankenstein's monster, Dracula. And then by the end, they're like, mad scientist, <laughs> hunchback. <Yeah. laughs> like, this is all we got, guys. Come yeah. on. And so Van Helsing, I remember it coming out. I did not see it theatrically. Why, why not? Why My parents you... wouldn't take it, me to it. Yeah. That's why. That's and the I'll, only reason. I'll tell you why I didn't see it theatrically. I was 15 and I thought I was too good for it. Wow, really? I saw that the reviews were bad and uh -huh. I, I said, I'm sophisticated. I'm going to be seeing sophisticated movies this summer like Fahrenheit 9-11. <laughs> yep. And now look where both of us are at this point of our lives. We're watching Talking about Van Helsing. We're watching Van Helsing. <laughs> and so this is a movie that I remember seeing it and going, I do not like this. And wow. I think I found it. I mean, I don't think I know watching it every time. Too much stuff. This okay. movie was also supposed to feature the creature from the Black Lagoon. And they storyboarded it out. And Stephen Summers actually went, that's maybe one monster too many in this movie. I don't want to get too deep into the plot, but Hugh Jackman plays Van Helsing. You know him. You love him. The Dracula hunter. He's he's not Edward Von Sloan as he is in the 1931. He's not an old guy. He's a young, sexy, Hip. swashbuckling anti-hero. Some say he's a killer. Some say he's a hero. Maybe he's a combination of the two. Some say that Hugh Jackman... Ain't doing much in this movie. Kind of playing the straight man to the silliness around him. Well, he's certainly in a lot of it. <laughs> yes, he is. I would say he has a fun, iconic suit. Big old hat that he wears the entire time. Lots of steam-powered weapons that he utilizes through this film. Here's what I'll say about Van Helsing. It's most famously known for having hideous CGI effects. To which I say, it does. Yes. <laughs> Especially the Brides of Dracula. Horrible looking. It's also known as being very video gamey. Yes, yes, you are correct. Yes, yes. What I'll also say about this movie is Stephen Summers loves this stuff. He loves it. He loves he's making this movie. I actually think we're not too far apart on this movie, even though I didn't like it. Yes, I, I didn't. I did not pick it thinking you would go, wow, I love this movie, Justin. You've opened my eyes. Well, here's the thing, though. I watching this movie for the first time, which is 
by the way, over two hours. Way too long. I was exhausted. I will say, I, I, I always fall asleep watching it. Yeah. I thought it was an eyesore. I thought, it like, there's so much action. Do you know in every... who shot it? Who? The guy who shot E.T., all the early Spielberg movies. Wow. Okay, there you, you go. You gotta watch it like me in 4K <laughs> HDR, which yeah. is the way that I viewed it. What, what I will say about it, though, is I did recognize, I like The Mummy, mm -hmm. I and I recognize that Stephen Sommers has his heart in the right place. And it has a, this movie has a certain vibe to it it's not really self-serious a lot of it is very consciously campy the performance by richard roxburgh as dracula in particular absolute bananas playing it to the rafters yeah just screaming the entire time i like the part he's like i'm hollow yeah <laughs> love it all the brides of dracula of course are doing you know similar right performances and i think that stephen summer is like he for a movie that's two hours long he is terrified of an audience becoming bored, mm -hmm. but he's not doing it in the way that people were doing in the late 90s and early 2000s. It's filled with like, you know, for film with as much CG as it has, it has so many like fun in-camera tricks where like there'll be a Bride of Dracula in the background mm -hmm. and then somebody will run and they'll bump into the actor or, you know, Richard Roxburgh is giving his speech like, oh my God, I can't believe. And he'll suddenly start walking on the wall in a practical effect on wires going up. Like there's that love there, even though that every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, it's too much, yeah. too much. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain vibe in it, a certain attitude that is not a million miles removed from Rob Zombie's The Monsters. Well, they they what, both have a kind of like... What is the difference between this and Godzilla Final Wars? I think Godzilla Final Wars, which is a movie that we both love, mm -hmm is it's structured a little bit better yeah i mean it's all it's also like overwhelming and chaotic but the first half of godzilla final wars is very heavily focused on the human stuff all the matrix mm. ripoff stuff and the second half is focused on the monsters yes the problem with van helsing is it starts at 120 miles per hour yes and it's just at 120 the entire there's nowhere for it to go like by the end they're like we finally found it dracula's castle in the ice dimension and you're like how is this different from the last castle that we visited and i think there's a bit of a disconnect between the spirit of the movie which is you can tell Stephen Sommers wants to do a little bit of Army of Darkness here. Mm -hmm. He wants to have that a kind of <laughs> yeah. kitschy tone. Yeah. But there's the blockbuster scale of the production. And also Hugh Jackman is not Bruce Campbell. No, like, he's he, not. He's a very, it's a very po-faced performance. And he's also doing all this Universal Monster stuff. And you can tell that Stephen Sommers studied this stuff. But it's all within the context. And spoiler alert, folks. This is what this whole episode is going to be about. Why are these action movies? It doesn't make any sense. This is not why people like these properties, but this is the only way the studio can understand making a movie that makes tons of money. That is one of the most famous things that they own. Well, because horror movies are exploitation movies. Mm -hmm. the horror movies are afterthoughts. Horror movies are paramount in the 1980s saying ugh well we'll green light that friday the 13th part four because we know it'll bring in the bucks but, but we don't like we're it. not we're not proud of it what these movies that we're talking about are are big brands mm. this is movie studios looking at dracula and saying well why isn't dracula iron man we can make dracula into iron man because everyone knows dracula <laughs> you're getting ahead of ourselves but <laughs> like in this movie though one of the things that's an issue with van helsing is that like you know we like the monsters because we like lon cheney jr's you know 
alcohol riddled face turning into <laughs> the werewolf. In Van Helsing, the werewolf is nothing. It's just a CGI creation. Yeah. That's like jumping around and doing stuff. It could be anybody. Well, yeah. I mean, the movie doesn't have a lot of texture, no. a lot of weight. It's like, what, what is Dracula in this movie? He's a guy that acts big the entire time. That's pretty much it. I think you'll agree that Stephen Sommers' The Mummy is pretty fun, though. Yeah, I like Stephen Sommers' The Mummy. And, I, I, and why, why is that more fun than this? I think he's working with less money. I mm-hmm. think that's a big difference why, especially a lot of people like the first mummy more than they like the second. So he can't, it can't be everything all at once. Mm-hmm. And that when the moments happen, especially in the pockets, like he can do fun little horror stuff in the mummy and then have his big action climax at the end. But in Van Helsing, it's just like everything is the climax of a movie, hence making it like mean nothing. It feels odd to say this about the mummy, which I'm sure was a very expensive movie that's like two hours long, but it feels lighter than yes. Van Helsing. And it thing, feels offhand. I also way. think that the performances in the mummy are much more engaging. Everything in Van Helsing, they're so caricatured. Hugh Jackman is not a grounding force in Van Helsing. He is a cartoon like everybody else around him. While when you have Brendan Fraser, he is fun to watch. It is enjoyable to see him go through these big things happening around him. Well, yeah, Brendan Fraser is kind of in keeping with the tone of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like he sort of, you take him seriously, but not that seriously. Yes. The thing is that like the mummy is more like a pulp adventure kind of thing with, you know, obviously inspired very heavily by Raiders of the Lost Ark. Van Helsing is a Saturday morning cartoon. Mm-hmm. Those are two different things. And watching two and a half hours of one cartoon is tough on a person. Now, before we go further, I'd like to double back just a little bit to a little interlude of the 1990s. These characters all came to the screen in very high profile adaptations, helmed by major auteurs. There was Bram Stoker's Dracula by Francis Ford Coppola. Fun movie. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein by Kenneth Branagh. Bad movie. And Wolf by Mike Nichols. Terrible movie. What do we make of this? era because this it, this is odd this is like the prestige monster era you know what's interesting about these movies is that they all kind of tackle these topics in different ways like Francis Ford Coppola was like I'm going back to the text yeah just like just Franco did but <laughs> he's also like he made the decision of we're going to do all in camera effects it will have a very kind of German expressionist feel to it all that is his approach to it with a little bit of Roger Corman as well like the ripe colors mm. while Kenneth Branagh making Frankenstein and he's like, I want it to be classy and I will go back to the original text. And you're going to see me with my shirt off. But you can also get the sense that like, I don't really like making this kind of movie. Mm. So I'm trying to class it up in a different way. If you love Candace Bragnall's Frankenstein, you're allowed to. It just doesn't do much for me. And Mike Nichols' Wolf, I think you'll agree, dead on arrival. Oh, awful. And yeah. Mike Nichols' Wolf, a friend said it best. He's like, if you imagined a film where Jack Nicholson and James Spader are doing wire work at the end of the movie and you said this happened you would assume it's the best movie of all time yeah then you watch it it's just boring man (laughs) the sight all all the wolfman scenes in that movie are in slow motion right yeah and the sight of jack nicholson rick baker doing the werewolf effects too i I know jack nicholson in like human people clothes but with wolfman like hair just prowling around in slow motion it's an image that stuck with me but not in a good way and you would think that like oh it'll be so funny right jack nicholson like acting like a wolf and it gets old real fast it's burdened with a lot of self-importance mm-hmm. the classic late period mike nichols touch so van helsing underperformed financially the monsters are put back in their closet until of course the avengers and then all the studios go what can we do what do we have a connected cinematic universe that we can build what's funny about the avengers is like people know captain america was 
No one had an affinity for Captain America. Neither did they have an affinity for Iron Man or That's especially true. Thor. That's true. So it's like they built it out of nothing. And like no one took the lesson from these things. Instead, the lesson they took is, wait, if we have properties people know and we make them into superheroes, and perhaps we're inspired by another TV show that's very popular around this time. Well, I'm sure you're thinking of Game of Thrones. Yes. Because 2014's Dracula Untold. Here's the thing. Dracula Untold. I, I mean, we're, we're digging this bad boy up just a bit him again yeah dog shit get out of here hate it starring the charisma dynamo luke evans oh can't get enough <laughs> and th the lesson that you know they learned was people want origin stories don't you want to know that like where dracula came from his fight with the turkish army the wanting to take away his people's children well i'm no! I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of that uh, that Patton oswalt yeah, joke I mean, do you like yeah. angelina jolie well here's john, john voight's ball sack it's like, oh you like ice cream you like ice cream how about some rock salt it's like no i don't want this so it turns out dracula is actually a pretty good guy mm. or, or he was he was a uh, vlad well, of impaler he was fame. a bad guy when we meet him he's a good guy again that's right he's fighting the turks the sultan wants an army of boys and he's got to stop that yeah he goes no so we get all our favorite dracula bits and by that i mean he turns into bats they tied onto this image and that's what most of the movie is so i said that i wasn't crazy about van helsing but that that movie compared to dracula Untold. is so much more fun i mean also van helsing is so much less of an eyesore than this movie which is cgi goop Ugh. just just it, it looks like like no care to anything cgi charcoal mm -hmm. that's what it is yeah no color this is a post underworld film but what do you see of dracula in this like why would people who love the universal horror dracula like go see dracula untold and what are they supposed to take away from it if you gave him another name mm. and you said he wasn't dracula yeah, vampire man super guy <laughs> yeah yeah if it was game of thrones with a vampire i wouldn't necessarily think this was a dracula adaptation no but you would not like the movie because it's bad yeah. So that's the, the stumbling block here. Earlier, he said that a problem with all these revivals is that they're not scary. They're action movies. And that is very fundamental with these characters, because these characters, the whole reason that they were appealing in the first place is they were speaking to or tapping into something in the collective unconscious that was bothering everyone. Like Dracula, there's something in there about like Victorian prudishness regarding matters of sex. Oh, also, oh, watch out for those immigrants. Yes, there's yep. some of that. The Frankenstein and the Frankenstein monster. This is happening at a time during the Industrial Revolution when, you know, people are saying, what is the place of God? Like, is, is, is man overreaching, you know? Same thing with the Invisible Man. Well, what if we push science too far? Right. And all of these things are things that could still be relevant. And yet the people who are greenlighting these movies and making them are not thinking about it that way. No. Well, I mean, we'll get to it a little bit later, but there was pre-pandemic plans for them to hand it off to someone else to make little movies, but it hasn't really happened yet. And we'll see if it will. Well, the last movie I saw in a movie theater the before Invisible the pandemic Man. was, yeah, Lee Wanell's The Invisible Man, mm -hmm. which I thought was pretty good. Yeah, I like The Invisible Man. And I mean, it it was speaking very directly to sort of like the post Me Too moment where like The Invisible Man in that movie was a sort of like predator guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, a hollow man, if you will. Yeah. And, you know, that was a movie, whether you like it or not, that was making an attempt to speak to, well, what could this character how could this character be scary in the current yeah moment? and like it's a woman who's being attacked by an invisible man right. and no one will believe her that it's happening right and this year a movie called megan which was a hit and i mean i don't love megan or anything but like it was a hit and it was speaking to it was almost kind of 
it didn't say this, but it was reconfiguring the Frankenstein story to make it about fear of AI and mm. the algorithm and stuff like that. But we just wanted to see dolls, Will. Dolls dancing, the new pop hits. Or maybe it was Child's Play reconfigured to mm. the current moment. It was something, it was some archetype reconfigured to the current moment. And yeah. I, I don't think you'll find that in Dracula Untold. No, you will not. Frankly, Twilight spoke more to the current moment. I thought it was dog shit, obviously. <laughs> yes. but, like, but you it, saw everyone in theaters. Well, listen, money don't lie. You know, that <laughs> movie spoke to someone in the current moment oh it absolutely did yeah and so like after dracula untold you'll be shocked to hear failed financially even though it ended with let the games begin <laughs> in, in the present day implying that the games are about to begin <laughs> i'm like they say they say dracula do they say that the line twice in the movie and each time i was just clapping and cheering and like yeah let's let the games begin there was no post-credit stinger where like i don't know frankenstein's monster shows up or something like that uh-huh. but they keep you know other companies do it how could we forget the classic Max Landis script, Victor Frankenstein, oh, starring yeah. Daniel Radcliffe. Did you see that one? No. Why no. would I go see that? Well, I don't know. <laughs> and you also have, like, Universal was scrambling. At one point, they offered Guillermo del Toro, like, do you want to be kind of like the head runner? And he turned it down. Instead, he made a creature from the Black Lagoon, Lagoon movie. movie. Yeah. yeah. And he says he kind of regrets turning it down. That, yeah. like, ah, maybe I could have done something with that. But, you know, they kept looking, they kept announcing stuff, and then it wasn't happening until... They make their big announcement. They got all the stars lined up. Javier Bardem, Johnny Depp, maybe Angelina Jolie. She was never officially confirmed. Russell Crowe and the man who saved movies, Tom Tom Cruise Cruise in The Mummy. Now, you saw The Mummy in theaters, right? Oh, I did. So didn't you remember that feeling when you see the Universal logo and then then you swerve to the other side of the planet and it says, Dark... I mean, we've been watching Universal movies for, what, 100 years now? And we never knew that on the other side of that planet... There's a dark universe. ...said dark universe. (laughs) (laughs) If you just went around, if you see, like, Universal Studios... It's still there. It says Dark Universe. If you, if you want, go watch, I don't know, Showboat or some like Universal movie from like 80 years ago. And just think, when you see that logo, it says Dark Universe on the other side. And so The Mummy, the Tom Cruise one, is a baffling choice to reboot the franchise for a number of reasons. Numero uno, all people will think of is the Stephen Summers, Brendan Fraser, The Mummy film. So I hope they're doing something radically different in their version. They are not. I disagree. I think they are. They're doing. You don't think Tom Cruise is doing basically a Brendan Fraser style performance in this movie? He's doing a Chris Pratt style performance. Yeah, he is. Big difference. No, they're making a radical decision to drain it of all fun and energy <laughs> yeah. and color. There's no color in this movie. I mean, yeah, the Tom Cruise mummy basically is meant to look like, you know, it it, it, it looks like the worst of the Marvel movies, that kind of like dishwater beige well, sheen. Well, it's a blue and teal look, which was really popular in the 2010s. A little bit of Nolan exploitation in there as mm-hmm. well, you know. I mean, it was directed by Alex Kurtzman, one of the like terrors of screenwriting of the last 15 years he wrote such films as star trek the second one that didn't have con in it anything with magic blood he was involved in it so i think tom cruise is a problem in this movie i agree i don't know what he's trying to do he is way too old to be playing this role that i mean that's the main thing yes like i think his late period really clicks into focus with some of the later mission impossible movies and maverick where obviously he's still trying to look younger than he is mm. but like it's sort he's of tom cruise but it's it's repositioning him as the last of the best and in this one it's supposed to be this one and american made which came out around the I same time i never saw american made well in that one he's supposed to be like 35 or something and, <laughs> and like he's got he's got like the full-on justin bieber haircut and mm-hmm. he's like he's like hey guys i'm still young right 
And another thing about this movie is it never figures out what people like about the mummy. We didn't mention the mummy when we were talking about those universal monsters because he is one of those creatures that no one can really figure out. Even in the Steven Summers version, he's barely the mummy for that much. Even in the original universal horror version, he's barely the mummy for that long of a period mm -hmm. before he turns into Boris Karloff. Mm -hmm. Like the one that I think has the most bandage wrapped mummy guy would be like the hammer version where Christopher Lee plays the mummy. Well, there are some of the sequels like the mummy's hand, yeah. you know, from the forties where there's, or get the bandage guy. Abbott and Costello meet the mummy is probably my favorite universal mummy movie. <laughs> but so like this movie almost instantly is like, we don't want any of this mummy stuff. This is boring. We're going to do something else instead. Yeah. And like you say, it's an action movie. Mm. Some of the setting up of the dark universe in oh, this wow. movie. So something wild about this movie. And if you know that, if you want to know if a blockbuster will stink, if there's 10 minutes of summing up, setting up the movie, you are in for a rough ride. Well, when Russell Crowe shows up. At the I know that's your favorite part. <laughs> Mr. Hyde. We love him, right? I you, can't believe you have the benefit of youth on your side. <laughs> Russell Crowe is like three years younger than Tom Cruise. <laughs> doesn't look it. Doesn't look it, no. I mean... I, I like to think that Tom insisted that line be in the script. The most famous thing about this movie is, of course, that trailer that leaked where oh, they yeah. had forgotten to put the audio, so you just hear Tom Cruise be like... Ah! I also like the set photos that leaked. Where oh, you, Tom... where he didn't have abs? And then yeah. suddenly he had ripped abs in the movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the best part. Wait, what's that? They're going in with CG and they're modifying these actors' bodies to look good? No I don't, way! I, I don't believe it, no. I, I do think also Hubris sunk this movie because Iron Man didn't announce itself as... As a universe movie until the post credit sequence. Which, which even then was like... It, it's not like it laid out. It said more stuff's coming, mm -hmm. but you didn't quite know what form that stuff would take. The Tom Cruise mummy movie is like two hours and 15 minutes. And like an hour of it is setting up other stuff. It's yeah. wild. Yeah. And it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Nobody likes that guy. Like nobody's like, I'm a big Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde stan. Well, again, you've got to make a case for the character, which is, sorry, I hate to be complimenting Marvel so much on this podcast, mm. but look. They, I mean, they, it succeeded they, though. They, they did it correctly. You can't, you can't argue with it. Like in each of those movies, they gave you a reason to care about each of these characters in the present and not just to set up the future of the franchise. But what would the franchise be? Like, this movie ends with, I guess, Tom Cruise is the mummy now? Like, will he just be a guy with superpowers who can't be killed? Like, in a universe where somehow the mummy is a huge success. Like, people are like, we just want to see Tom Cruise this I'm thinking week. of Lionel Hutz thinking <laughs> yeah. about all the people. <laughs> Over the rainbow. Yeah. Like, and, like, the Invisible Man movie gets made. What is that movie? He's a superhero, I guess, right? Yeah. That's the only way. A memoir of an Invisible Man, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And, like, what is the Bride of Frankenstein version that Bill Condon was going to direct? Oh, man. Hard to know. Now, Renfield just came out a few yes. months ago, which... You know what that stinks of? It's like Universal's like, okay, well, obviously the Dark Universe didn't work out. We gotta do something with these monsters. We can't, these are our monsters. We gotta do something. So let's get a bunch of people in to pitch us some ideas. And then some hungry screenwriters came in and said, what if it was a Dracula movie that's about Renfield and he's in therapy for codependency? Love it. Great. Sounds good. And they were like, okay, that's enough. No, no, no. They also went, 
Could he get superpowers as well and get into action scenes? Oh, and you know what they also said? They also said because studios are like the Titanic, you know, it takes a long time to steer them and they're always heading for the iceberg. <laughs> yep. but, but ultimately it takes a long time to steer them. And so the studio finally figured out 10 years ago that Nicolas Cage was popular online. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you know what the people on the internet really like is, is Nicolas Cage. They think he's epic. Can we get him in here to, to do epic? You know what I will say though? Nick Cage, best part of that movie completely agree and not enough of him either i completely agree i think nicholas cage i mean obviously there's that huge internet fan following but i i think he maintains his integrity in most of his movies and this is the issue not all (laughs) no this is the issue with this movie is that like it's afraid to have dracula as a main character in the movie yeah like this is what you're making guys what are you doing you gotta stop being afraid of making a universal horror movie that has a monster in it that's about that monster Please, for the love of God. So this has been a tour through failure. This has been a walk down the worst memory lane in the House of Frankenstein. Oh, we didn't even mention that we watched a couple of classic universal horror ones. They're, they're in the movies. The movies are barely an hour long and they do what they're supposed to do. I watched the House of Frankenstein for the 15th time in my life. I watched probably. House of Dracula, I believe, for the first time. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. Definitely the death knell to those movies. House of Frankenstein's okay, but yeah, the, it's all right. But the the monsters are really never together. No. And like in both of those movies, Glenn Strange as the Frankenstein monster is only at the end. Yeah, barely appears. I mean, the same thing with Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, which actually is directed by a good director. Mm-hmm. But like they only get together in like the last like thirty seconds of that film. What are you doing, guys? I guess that's like the monkey's paw curling, right? Because they're like, well, how about we put them together in Van Helsing and they'll be together the entire time. But I think what we've seen over and over again is that these efforts to revive these characters are stifled from the top down by money men who don't understand the characters and merely see them as well that's a name that we can exploit and it's a name that should be at the same level with batman or and something. what's popular now action movies yep those are the blockbusters so everything needs to be an action blockbuster these characters i think will never die because there's something in them that is adaptable to every moment that they're in oftentimes it will take people sort of working in the margins or in the the subterranean levels of the studio system to to find those and have the monsters sneak up on us again like like they always have. I cannot believe that they have not successfully rebooted officially at any point the creature from the Black Lagoon. That is bananas to me. What's not to like? He's a creature. He's yeah. in the Black Lagoon. That's all you got to do. And I know that like John Landis most famously was going to do a version of it. What I did not know was that they wanted Jack Arnold to direct. Really? This, yeah. This would have been the guy who made the original one. Yes. And this would have been a Jack Arnold. 10 years removed from the Fred Williamson film Boss, where Fred Williamson said, yeah, I directed most of that film because Jack Arnold really wasn't that present. I notice you boulderized the title of Boss. It originally had <laughs> another word in it. <laughs> no, I will not be saying that word. And who had, I believe he had been directing TV for like decades up until that point. Jack Arnold's a god. We should do an episode. Do a Creature from Black Lagoon. I know a lot of people have done their version of Creature from Black Just slap Universal on it. Put it up. I think people, you release those movies in October. They go shit for it they would love it like everyone loves a dracula yeah and i mean there's a million draculas what would be the new universal take on dracula i don't know dracula 2000 if you will <laughs> well happy halloween everyone oh it's October in july let's move on to letters justin do we have any letters this week as per usual you can send us letters at important cinema club podcast at gmail.com and our first letter is from jules pigot 
And they ask, I've gotten very into professional wrestling in the past few years. One of my favorite phenomenons is when a wrestler tries Hollywood. In recent years, we've seen wrestlers who are genuinely good actors like Dave Bautista and to a bit lesser extent, John Cena. We've also seen The Rock, who is very successful despite his acting ability. But then you go back and you get your Hulk Hogan's who are often hilariously bad. I was wondering... Hey, 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 a little respect for Thunderlips. <laughs> the Hulkster himself. Have you seen Santa with Muscles? Or Thunder in Paradise? Ah, yes. Or what about Macho Man Randy Savage? Bonesaw! I mean, They Live is probably the greatest movie to star a professional wrestler, right? Oh, yep. The letter writer actually finishes. Roddy Piper in They Live has always been a particular standout to me. It was the perfect role for him. Yeah. Finally, I'd love to hear you guys do an episode on the UPA Animation Studio one day. Thanks, Jules. This is not the first request we've had for the UPA Animation. I've been mentioning it a lot. And then the What a Cartoon podcast did a very lengthy episode on it. And I was like, what else do I have to ask? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is the issue. I mean, listen, Mr. Magoo, here's the thing about him he's nearsighted so sometimes he'll be on a construction site and he'll be walking along steel beams in midair and he, he'll think it's a staircase i think what's interesting about upa is the fact that they found a limited style of animation mm-hmm. and allowed themselves to continue after being blacklisted by all the major hollywood studios because they were like a union like they got together as a collective and mm-hmm. that was the organization as far as wrestlers that are actors i mean i love the rock before he became the world's most popular actor and he, you know, destabilized the DC universe because he's boring now. I think he changed the balance of power yes. in the DC universe. I actually like current day John Cena because he mm. just allows himself to have fun now. I think the problem with The Rock is you always see like the calculation these days. Like he's always giving interviews where he talks about like his team and his yeah. strategy and the business of it all. When you And when you find out the Black Adam was like his passion project Ugh, it's like yeah. he made southland tales which was like his one attempt at like an art film and obviously that spooked him forever because he never did anything like that again i wish i could take the rock aside and go hey man you've won yeah like you've won you've won for many years you don't need to be the winner all the time how about you make interesting stuff where like the rock in a magnolia I want to yeah, see that. Like I That would it. be fun. I think he has it in him to do like really weird stuff. He did it in Southland Tales. Because a lot of the backlash to The Rock right now, I think, is fueled by disappointment. Well, he's bland. Yeah. we And we all know he's charismatic. We all know he's good on screen. He got here for a reason. And it's sad to see him sort of betray that talent, well, making you, these really safe movies. You look at the film that really made The Rock gain a new level of popularity, Fast Five, mm. where he is sweaty, he's kind of jagged, and he's angry. And then watch him play that same character character in Hobbs and Shaw. He's boring. He's safe. Each main star has the exact same number of punches as the other. That's not what people want from him. And I don't know if he can change like into that mode because he wants to be the most popular man on planet earth it's a bad look to never want to fail mm-hmm. or to never be willing to fail yes and i mean he's been failing like crazy even though he's telling us i didn't actually fail it made money in other territories yeah. i'm not in the red i'm not in the red as he turns into a corn cob <laughs> but i mean we can't forget some of the greatest wrestlers turn actors Tor Johnson. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. How could I forget? It was a whole different era of wrestling. Yeah. I mean, Tor Johnson in... Are all, you forgetting the name all, of the Edward movie? All, all of his movies. Well, because I wanted to go for a deeper cut one. I think Beast of Yucca Flats, his <laughs> performance in that. You know, just seeing him from a distance, like letting out a mighty roar and throwing a rock. Who could forget as well George the Animal Steel 
playing Tor Johnson in Ed Wood. A beautiful performance. I mean, when he rises from the grave, mm -hmm. you know, it's uncanny. I'm trying to think of other. Captain Lou Albano, he was oh, a wrestler. Oh my God. Well, him and Wise Guys. <laughs> I've never seen Wise Guys. Is yeah, he good in it? Yes, you've seen Wise Guys. We watched oh, it together. Sorry. I thought I was thinking of the Michael Mann. Wasn't there a TV show called Wise Guys as well? Well, maybe. I'm thinking of the Brian De Palma, Joe Piscopo joint. <laughs> yeah, we watched it. Stone faced the entire time. Except when Captain Lou was on screen. A big smile on her face. And his performance as Mario is still, I think, the definitive Fuck you, one. Luigi. <laughs> Love it. Love it so much. So yeah, I, I like the idea of wrestlers becoming actors because it's like being a wrestler is all about being charismatic. And you do that in a number of different ways. Does that translate to the screen? Oftentimes, no, but when it does, it's fascinating to see it play out. I mean, it's interesting because what they do in the ring, I mean, yeah, it is about being charismatic. It's not pure athleticism. No. It's not like a guy can be a baseball player who's incredible, but not have charisma. Or you could be an amazing technical wrestler, and that means that you land all the moves, you can do it all perfectly, but you're not charismatic. That becomes an issue. Yeah. Like the Hulkster. I mean, I'm not a wrestling expert, but my friends who are say he's a terrible wrestler. Same thing with the Ultimate Warrior. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. They were charismatic in the ring. Now, does that trend? like to the screen i mean the hulk man he made a lot of movies how can you argue with that right like oh, surf, i can surf, i can argue three ninjas uh, go to wonderland high, high noon at mega mountain it was called <laughs> yes. co-starring jim, jim varney yeah <laughs> you know you can't argue with that because yeah. he, he's right there up on screen well okay i i won't argue with that <laughs> <laughs> roddy piper in the late period of his career he did some really fun roles on like it's always sunny in philadelphia where he played a burnt out wrestler Love that stuff. Yeah, that's great. I mean, after They Live, I sort of lose touch with him because he made all sorts of direct-to-video movies that I haven't seen. Have you have you plundered the sort of Roddy yeah, Piper? he's really fun in them. Yeah. What, like what it, are some good ones? Back in Action with Billy Blanks is mm. really good. Shot in Toronto features the twin dragons of Dragon Hunt. Oh, I love show those two. Both of them to fight Roddy Piper and Billy Blanks. There's another Toronto set one because Roddy Piper was Canadian, so he's in a lot of Canadian shot movies. One that's kind of like The Warriors if it starred Roddy Piper and he ran across Toronto called Jungle Land or Jungle Zone, something like that. Jungle's in the title. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to think, they just kind of blur together. Wait, isn't there that one that we watched? Was it me and you that watched it together? That was like Roddy Piper, Andrew Dice Clay, Shannon Tweed. Is it? Oh. Directed by Paul Lynch. Oh, that's that Die Hard ripoff, yeah, right? Yeah, Die Hard Roddy ripoff. Piper was in that? Yeah, he plays like the third villain and he's really oh, fun God. in God, God, yeah. I liked that movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Roddy Piper, I think out of all those actors, he was the most fun one, even though if you listen to the commentary for They Live, you're like, wait, does Roddy Piper think They Live the documentary? <laughs> like, well, it is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Consume. Randy Savage, he didn't really do that much other than Bonesaw. Same thing with Andre the Giant did have a bit of a run in some movies. Well, a movie specifically. Yes, a movie that people love. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I see a wrestlers in movies episode in our future. Let's do it. So as per usual, you can send us letters on pornsimmerclubpodcast at gmail.com. What are we doing on our Patreon this week, Will? We're talking about the sci-fi classic from 1953, Invaders from Mars, which has been newly released on a 4K Blu-ray. And was it an easy process to get this new remaster out? It was not. So we discussed that. We discussed 50s monster movies, what scared us as children children and more to check that out go to patreon.com slash the important cinema club next week we're gonna do something you've heard about <laughs> i'm gonna sell it i mean not necessarily though i mean we're talking about one of the indie darlings of the 1990s yeah he was big in the 1990s it's kind of faded away since then 
Todd Salons. Yeah. So, so happiness. Welcome to the dollhouse. And then can we watch palindromes? Yeah, let's do palindromes. I saw that one when it came out. I felt mm. I felt very adult. We will not be doing Wiener Dog, where the dog gets hit by a car at the end and explodes on screen. Too too traumatic for both of us, especially you, who I think had a, had wiener. a wiener dog. Yeah. That looked exactly like the dog oh, in man. the movie. That's what we'll be doing next week. Until then, my name's Justin the Clue. I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. As per usual, I'd like to thank some of our new patrons, who include Adam Rockwood, Larry McCarley, Aaron Rojas, Eris Janopoulos, Tree Forest, Alex Sinesi, Joseph Jaffe, Kevin Barr, John Daniel, Chaz Pofol, Ethan Johnson, Mariano Velasco, Ken Nichols, Jim Montour, Michael O'Leary, Hayden Michael Cole, Thomas Sanscott, Mark Catapano, Alan Butt, C.E.L. K., Drew Cohn, Craig Lewis, Peter Brannan, Cat Weasel, Maz Hava, George Sanders, Donald Patterson, and Robert Brewery. Thank you very much for becoming patrons. We could not keep doing this without you. Well, the movies are back. Apparently. I mean, big sound, big screen. Love it. Popcorn? Yeah. Love it. Movies? Popcorn. Mm-mm. Who could we possibly be talking about? Mr. Tom Cruise. That's right. Mission Impossible, the new one is out. The affection and love and a certain amount of befuddlement and fear of Tom Cruise are at an all-time high. And you, well, I'll let you tell the story. So basically, at like 3 a.m., and so I saw it when I woke up, a friend of mine messaged me and said- You woke up at 3 a.m.? No, no, no. He sent it at 3 a.m. I saw it in the morning. Okay. He said, hey- Aiden, who was a cinematographer on Impossible Horror, the feature film that I directed, and is now the videographer to the stars. I don't want to talk too much about Aiden, the nicest man in the world. How about that? Justin a clue over here, the new Roger Corman, like giving people their start. Yeah, so he's been the videographer for Will Smith during the period when the slap happened, too. Oh, man. He was in the room watching the Oscars with his family. Oh, man. Uh, what had happened. Jessica Chastain, to the point that Jessica Chastain, like, loves Aiden Tanner, that they started a book club together. I saw it Whoa. on the Instagram. Yeah. And now Tom Cruise, seemingly. So he's been following Tom Cruise around and doing like social media content, basically like just filming him. Did he did he do the video where Tom Cruise goes to see Tenet? No, that was before his time. (laughs) Did he shoot that popcorn? I love pop. Maybe I'd have to ask him. Oh, man. And so we heard through him that like Tom Cruise is coming to an 1120 a.m. screening of the new Mission Impossible in Toronto, Toronto, Canada. Canada. I don't think is there any other actor that I was like, I need to be there just to see that. Jackie Chan? Jackie Chan, probably. I think that may be it. Yeah. That like, I would go to the screening to see them and like not interact with them or anything. And I wasn't going to go. And then Emily was like, you got to go. <laughs> like, yeah. come on. So I rushed over. And right when I walked up to the Scotiabank, I was like, this is not a secret that like Tom Cruise is going to show up. Because there were a ton of people in suits waiting to get in. Every poster had been replaced by a Mission Impossible poster. They were giving up free popcorn. I got a hat that says Mission Impossible on it. <laughs> I wonder if people were genuinely surprised. Because, like, you could just buy a ticket. That's what I did. and just went. Wow. Like, it was not, like, a press screening or anything like that. And, like, I, it was buzzing. I actually heard some people across from me being like, where's Aiden? Is Aiden here? <laughs> like, oh, the yeah. Aiden fever. He had started it as well. Wow. You know, we watch the trailers. All the lights come up. And Mr. Tom Cruise walks out with Christopher McQuarrie, the director. And Tom Cruise, full-on autopilot. Like, he's like, hey, thanks, everybody, for coming here. Big screen, big sound. This is the way the movies are meant to be watched. Someone did scream, I can't believe you're here. And then Tom Cruise broke from his spiel and went, well, I can't believe I'm here either. (laughs) And he smiled and he looked at the crowd. I yelled, the movies are back, really loudly. Did not react to that. Said, thanks, everybody. And then he left. 
Movie started. I got up and left because I've already seen it and I'm seeing it again. <laughs> but I got my Tom Cruise fix on. Thank you, Cineplex Club membership. Use my free ticket just to go to that screening. Wow. Incredible that you saw the man in the flash. Yeah. I mean, he's not just a man anymore. He's kind of, a, he's a historic But he figure. doesn't do like, like public appearances like that or like maybe on the red carpet. That's what he'll do. Well, there are very few celebrities like somebody like Dwayne The Rock Johnson is always on social media like, yes. hey, what up guys? Sound off in the comments. And he knows the name of every single person person that he's met in his entire life and he can remember them when he sees them at press circuits but tom cruise lives on a mountain somewhere he's not accessible in london now in as, london uh, will reveal to me and, I, and he went oh you well know? so i saw somebody speculating on twitter like okay tom lives in london which is the only country that has successfully prosecuted scientology like what's going on like mm, is he is he breaking apart because most people when they break apart from scientology they don't say it yeah. Like they just let it go and maybe it'll slip up in an interview later on. Maybe this is just wishful thinking. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm did, just saying that if he did it, somebody I know who worked close with Will Smith and I asked them, hey, is Will Smith a Scientologist? And he went, no, even before this was public. Yes. Yeah, so like they just don't like to say that kind of stuff. Well, I'm, I'm just saying I'm just saying he like. 90% he probably is a Scientologist, but that 10% is like, well, if he was, wouldn't he be in LA where, yes. where Scientology is? Well, I mean, he famously had like joined Scientology tents on like War of the Worlds and stuff like that. Which earned the ire of Steven Spielberg, mm. I think. Has Tom Cruise been vocal about his Scientology recently? Not lately. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously- I wonder what the last time he was. Well, there was, ob- I think it's been a really long time, actually. Like, I think- there was the video that leaked, obviously, the fa- yes. the famous one. Like, hey, I'm Tom Cruise. Like, and, but that was like, like 10 years ago. 10, imagine, imagine if you met, if, if you could just tell an SP. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there was that War of the Worlds press run where he was talking about like, Scientology. I, I know the history of psychiatry. You don't. Mm. And then I think obviously somebody said to him, you better fucking shut up if you still want to be Tom Cruise. Mm. He, and no more kissing ladies on the lips. People don't want to see that anymore. Yeah. I think after that press tour, he definitely took some lessons to heart Mm -hmm. has he broken away from scientology we do not know that information cannot confirm and or deny and none of my business no if he wants to do that even though scientology is well i I, oh wait i don't want to say anything yeah (laughs) listen i don't i don't want him to own slaves like he's alleged to have or that his wife has to you know run away in the dark of night to be able to escape him (laughs) yeah that's pretty bad but christopher McQuarrie keeps working with him now tom has something on christopher McQuarrie because every press tour he does for mission impossible phil christopher McQuarrie is like, I'd rather get leprosy than make another Mission Impossible. Then he turns around and is like, I'm making two back to back. Well, I mean, maybe after, it's probably exhausting after they're done, but then maybe Christopher McQuarrie looks and says, hey, this is a pretty sweet deal I've got. Yeah. And, you know, we don't want to put any words in Tom Cruise's mouth, but there was a rumor going around that perhaps his sexuality was in doubt and the Scientologists had that information and Scientology, not that I've heard, I've heard this from other people, that perhaps like they'll release this information, they have blackmail information. Well, I mean, this is what they famous, the the rumor has famously been about John Travolta. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) What, John Travolta's not straight? Well, he was married for many years, Yes, you know, but to a woman. To someone like Tom Cruise, if it was revealed tomorrow that there was like a leak and it's like, Tom Cruise is gay, we have the evidence, I don't think it would affect any box office performance. You know, probably not. I mean, given at this point, first of all, the way that society has changed, Mm. which doesn't mean there's not homophobia. Obviously, there is. There's lots of homophobia. But... I mean, given everything else that he's survived, I mean, again, you alluded to he survived the whole Katie Holmes divorce thing, which by any anybody looking at that would say something weird is going on here. Mm -hmm. He survived being 
the most famous crazy person mm-hmm. in, in for the, years in the world and i think he could survive that because like with when top gun came around i bet you could turn around people are like i like tom cruise more now <laughs> yeah it would humanize him but yes. when top gun came around even like the people who hated tom cruise for years were like god damn it we're separating the artist from the art this yeah. this, <laughs> this guy this guy knows how to make a movie yeah. <laughs> he's the one keeping hollywood afloat when they go on strike if they do and it will have happened by the time you listen to this podcast the the actors the, the actors, actors yeah. guild is tom cruise like coming in and he's like you guys gotta fix this it's interesting i saw a clip of tom hanks being asked about you know hollywood's other famous hank mm. tom i mean yeah uh, tom is definitely hanks not the one keeping his movies afloat making the you know quality control there i saw tom hanks being interviewed about it or asked about it and he gave a like a five minute answer where he really prevaricated and you know was like oh there's a solution for everyone and listen tom hanks tom cruise they're management now yeah they're not they're not actors they're not writers i mean they are but ultimately they're management the issue with sag going on strike is tom cruise can't make his next mission impossible movie it's not done yet they have one big sequence left to shoot so like he will probably blow some doors down i feel to get that done and he won't be able to do press anymore either Wow. Like, that's why he's pushing all this stuff at rapid speed. I saw that day I saw him in Toronto. He was also in Atlanta, Georgia, going in front of a screening. God, the the, the thing, I mean, I think that is almost as impressive as him, like, motorcycling off a cliff. I Just agree. the sheer number of cities he can visit in a day and <laughs> keep the Tom Cruise thing going. 